0: We don't slut shame around here. They say
1: we are what we eat. Does that
0: come in organic? So, who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat. The place to up level that sexy life of yours. With expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Kat. There is no topic that's more captivating than the conversation about love and relationships. We all love to read about it, we take the BuzzFeed quizzes about it, and we share with our best friends or our lovers all the memes and the podcasts about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who asks relationship advice from the all-knowing Google. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yet the reality of human romantic relationships is incredibly complex. What's the right way to do them? How are we designed for optimal loving? And is marriage outdated? And that's what we're getting into today. I'm here with Roger Nygard to talk about his newly released documentary and book, The Truth About Marriage. But before we get to Roger, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank you for your reviews on iTunes. And if you haven't left me anyone, then please be a doll and go type me up some love. And then share with your neighbor and his wife down the hall this episode. They can definitely use this. Because my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show and connect with me. Read more about how you can uplevel your sex, love, and vitality. And now, so to our amazing guest here who's about to help you uplevel your sex, love, and vitality. I'm stoked to have you on the show, Roger Nygaard. Hi.
1: Hi, hello, good to see you.
0: Yeah, we just discovered that we're neighbors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're neighbors, but we're still digitally connecting.
0: I know, social distancing. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Before before we start the show, I love to ask a question to all my guests to help them just warm up. It's like a little foreplay question. (laughs) Um, What would you tell your younger self that you would feel would have helped them around sex and love?
1: Yeah, the Peggy Sue Got Married Dilemma. I mean, a classic movie, like, what if you could go back in time? I I started making my documentary seven years ago, and I felt like I knew so little. I mean, I I, I didn't realize how little I knew until I got to the end of this process and finished a documentary. And I knew so little about relationships and was sabotaging them and making mistakes. So if I could download to my earlier self seven years ago or 17 years ago, or I mean, to to when I was 10 years old, if I knew what I knew (laughs) in high school... What I know now, I would have had such a different trajectory in my life. But the thing is, it's never too late, right? It's like when is the best time to plant a tree? Well, ten years ago or today. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I know what I know now, I can go better, go forward in a much better way than I could if I didn't know this. It's never too late. So Yeah,
0: so get out there and get his documentary and read it. I highly <laughs> recommend it. I I dove it straight in because I so I am recently out of a relationship myself, and so one of the ways that I cope is by intellectualizing. So I dive in and learn as much as I can and figure out, you know, okay, what could I have done differently? What could I have said differently? And which which is beautiful, right? Because then we get to we get to use those experiences as a way to um, learn and grow and show up differently in these relationships. But then we can also get into this trap of like thinking that we have to be better or do better in order to receive love. I don't yeah, know no, if you, you, f- just,
1: you have to be yourself, right? The, the secret yeah. of success or happiness in a relationship, according to all the experts I talk to is number one is acceptance. Number mm. one of yourself, who you are as a person and as a species, and then of your partner, who they are. And that's the hardest thing to do because when you're <laughs> dating someone, you put on, I put on my best self, Mm-hmm. And then the person I'm dating puts on their breast version. So it's two masks, a mask, a facade, dating a facade. And it's so hard to hold that mask up over time. Eventually, it's going to slip. And then your partner is going to go, I didn't know you were such, you know, mm-hmm. you would get so worked up over, you know, uh, the meal being too hot or too cold or something. I don't know. You get mm-hmm. so angry over this or that. Well, surprise. And that's that what it? leads to to frustration and then anger and then relationships yeah. ending.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's finding this balance between how can we learn about ourselves and learn about, you know, how we can show up more um, effectively in relationships, but also having that balance of accepting ourselves and, and loving ourselves as we are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How that's so you... hard. I know, right? <laughs> Give me the rule book. Tell me how to do that. <laughs>
0: You know,
1: we're not, uh, we're set up to fail by our society, by our culture. And it's not because any, it's it's no one's fault. This is what has happened over the millennia since we first evolved as human beings on the African savanna 200,000 years ago, human homo sapiens came into being. The you know the person from 200,000 years ago is the same as a person today. It's just what's different is our culture has changed. It's radically evolved much faster than we have, and our culture is asking us to behave in ways that are so out of sync with who we are as a species that we're naturally unable to meet these expectations that we set for ourselves, but our society, friends, parents, schools, work. It's we're, we're always falling short and then feeling inadequate and trying to, well, how can I fix myself, right? And, and, and so it's natural to feel like you're not living up to society's expectations because we're not. It's impossible to do it eternally.
0: Yeah. So, what do you mean by that? By um, natural, what we what we're naturally inclined for? Because I've been in many conversations with people and have even read books like "Sex at Dawn" and and the counter argument "Sex at Dusk." And so, um, it it I, if I personally find it complicated to bring in these conversations of um, evolution and like where where we came from and quote unquote what we're supposed to be, because we are such complex, dynamic, ever changing humans in different cultures that. You know, have influence on us and different programs on us.
1: That's such an excellent point because we have this very large brain, and we're very adaptable, and we can adapt to any climate now, and 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 any change that comes along, we can adapt. We're so plastic and and flexible in being something else than what we were destined to be by our genetics or whatever. We're so different from a a dolphin, which has a brain that's bigger than ours and and in many ways equally or smarter, but can't really adapt the way a human can adapt. So we have this ability to do so. So no one's saying it's easy, but what's natural? What is natural? Well, it's natural to breathe, right? You don't have to put any thought. I mean, you you, like a little breathing exercise we did before (laughs) we started this, that's recalibrating our breath. But if we don't pay attention to it, it happens naturally, that's natural. But interacting in a relationship now requires active involvement from us because our culture has changed in such a way that it doesn't. what we have to do doesn't come naturally. So what? But that's okay. I mean, anything that's worthwhile is worth working toward. Dr. Gottman, John Gottman, one of the psychologists I interviewed, put it this way. He said that relationships naturally deteriorate over time. That's just what happens. If you start a relationship, it will end naturally, Mm -hmm. unless you put conscious intention into maintaining it. Mm. So that's not, that's, that's what's normal now. It's normal to need to work at your relationship. And if you don't, it will end. Mm -hmm.
0: Which makes sense, right? Because everything, everything has a process of death and life, right? Everything eventually does go to an end. I think that's a very yogic tradition of, of non-permanence. So it's, I think, and even in a relationship, there's these processes of death and life, right? It's, it's, um, as we're changing individually and then together, the relationship goes through its own process of, um, this is what it looks like here in this stage. And then this is what it looks like in here in this stage. And this is what it looks like, you know, when we're 50 years old and we're not the same that we were at 23, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. That's uh, Chris Ryan put it this way. He said, you're not in a relationship with somebody you're in a series of relationships because mm. they're changing and you're changing at the same time. So that's going to require constant adaptation and you have to constantly be willing and able to change or you split yeah. if you can't, or if you're inflexible, if you just aren't willing to do it or aren't able. And that's why people are here to help counselors, psychologists, people like you, Mm -hmm. life coaches. There are people out there that can help us because it's not natural for whatever that means to be this, that, or the other. (laughs) There are people with experience who Mm -hmm. maybe can look at your situation objectively and offer advice. Usually we turn to our friends for advice and they're generally not the best people (laughs) to give us good advice, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. They might be good to hold, hold space for us, but they're projecting their own bias and their own experiences onto it as well. Yeah. Which is what I really enjoyed about your documentary is, is, um, before the show, we were talking about the, um, so often documentaries present with a specific bias to convince the people on why they should believe what it is that they're presenting. And you didn't do that. I was so, I was blown away with the number of, of different experts that you had on the, on the, um, documentary, all of them talking about everything from, you know, a Jewish tradition to polyamory to, um, you know, he had a match maker on there, everybody sharing their different experiences and their, you know, their different clients and their different I, perspectives on sex and love and all the things. And, and uh, why did you, why did you do that? Why would you inspire to do it that way?
1: <laughs> well, I become obsessed. I'm very obsessive about concepts, <laughs> a concept or an idea just uh, freaks me out or confuses me. Or does it make any sense? And then I have to find out what it is. We'll get to the bottom of it. I'm like, I guess, an investigator uh, in a sense as I make a documentary. And if you look at all my documentaries, I do this, Whether my first documentary was about Star Trek fans. And so I investigated this subculture about why are these people so weird, funny, bizarre, interesting. I set out to solve that question. And then Mm. I made a documentary about aliens, six days in Roswell about like, are there aliens here? What what really happened in Roswell, New Mexico? And so I solved that mystery. Then I was obsessed. I've been obsessed my whole life since Mm. I can remember with existentialism. Mm -hmm. And the core question is why do we exist? Mm. And I asked I've, I sought out experts all over the world from every major belief system and interrogated them about why are we here? What is our purpose? What am I supposed to do? Why is it so hard? You know, all every question that was bothering me, <laughs> I made them answer it. And then yeah. I would intercut everyone's answer from every discipline, every re- major religion, the scientists, the atheists, everyday people, and get a, you get a sense of what the community, our community of human beings think about this question, mm-hmm. why are we here? And then you as a viewer can sort of draw your own conclusion now that I've presented you with all of the information that I found. And then similarly, in my most recent documentary, The Truth About Marriage, my core question was, why is it so hard for people to have relationships or to be married? Why is it so difficult? Why does it Mm -hmm. have to be so hard? (laughs) Why shouldn't that be something we call natural to be in a relationship? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because if we were naturally monogamous, you would you would pair up for life with the first person you have sex with in high Mm -hmm. school or whenever that would be it. You pair up first time monogamous done. But obviously we don't do that. Mm -hmm. We practice something that is probably more accurately called serial monogamy now, Mm -hmm. which is essentially polygamy without being able to keep the the prior lovers. You've got to get rid of the old one before you can take on a new one in a serial monogamous chain of people, Mm -hmm. whether it's through marriage or, or just dating. And and so that's what has become natural for us now. And we have to live with it. And so we have to work within that. That's the way it is. There are reasons how we got here. But to be happy, you have to work within this system. Or, I mean, there are people working around it, around the edges, like polyamorists have found a way to kind of get back towards tribe, they mm-hmm. call it. There's very strict monogamous people. And Chris Ryan put it this way. He felt that. Monogamy is kind of like a spectrum, sort of like whether you're gay or straight or addicted, whether you can become addicted to nicotine. There's a bell curve and -hmm. we all fit somewhere on the bell curve. Extremely monogamous, not monogamous at all. Most people are somewhere in the middle of this bell curve. And then you can sort of be shaped and molded by whatever the society or your environment is in. If you lived in ancient Rome, you might, you know, be moved towards homosexuality more than you would be in a very evangelistic society, whatever it is, you will tend to move in the direction that everyone is going so you can belong to your social group. Mm -hmm. And so people are finding new social groups that fit, that feel better, that, that fit who they want to who they feel like inside And happiness, right, is about fitting in part, partly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting that I I like that concept of the spectrum and it's even, you know, we talk a lot about that in, um, uh, sexual orientation too. So as sexual orientation is a spectrum between heterosexual and, and, um, gay or everything in between, right. (laughs) Pansexual and all, all these new like expressions and labels and everything like that. And, and so I think part of it is, is learning and, I think this is what you were sharing with your documentary of presenting all of these different experiences and all these different perspectives to inspire question uh, self-inquiry for the, the person viewing it of okay what's right for me when you along this project that you that you were doing uh, do, was this inspired for you was this inspired by a broken heart was this inspired by your own experience of relationship or oh yes yeah
1: <laughs> All my failures have motivated me and, and fueled this desire to do better. <laughs> I felt like I would failed so many times in relationships. And, and looking back, I had sabotaged many relationships mm. in order to um, uh, to try to, at the time, I was trying to feel better, right? We're all in pain and we're trying to, to not feel so... Um, unloved, unwanted, mm-hmm, or we want to yeah. be wanted better or wanted to, for who we are. There's a, there's an old joke. It's like, I love you change. Right? Yeah. So, you know, that's not fair to say <laughs> to someone, I love you, but you need to change into someone I can love better. Yeah. You have to love someone for, for who they are. So I had been failing in my relationships. I'd been in love a couple, three times, actually. I, I, the way you know you're in love is because it's so painful. When it ends. What? My- no,
0: I do not believe
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's how I knew. Mm-hmm. And each of those times I could imagine, I was imagining myself with this person forever and getting married and maybe having children and it, all mm-hmm. those yeah. fantasies. And then it would end. I was like, how did that happen? And, mm-hmm. and now I have a much better idea mm-hmm. how and why that happened. But at the time I was just uh, bewildered and confused One time I was so in such pain that I, for the first time in my life, I sought out a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I met with her through, I got a referral from a friend and met with her. And she said, You know, what are your goals? And I said, Well, I really am looking for, I guess, some kind of help, some advice, some coping strategies for how I can progress and feel better. And -hmm. she said, Okay, let's do it. And she gave me those. And one of the best pieces of advice she gave me was, right now you are feeling like you have lost control Mm. because you had given your ability to be happy to someone else. It was in their power to make you happy or unhappy by their behavior or choice to be with you or not. And so what you need to do is regain control of your life in order to get back to a baseline of, of your own control and happiness. And so to do that, what you'll have to do, and it's not easy, is cut off all contact with this person, 100%. Because we hadn't, you know, she was still emailing me occasionally, and, and you can't not respond, right? Because you're sure. grasping for crumbs and hope, want to get back together mm-hmm. and work it mm-hmm. out. and, and Like she a drug. Was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're physically, literally ad- addicted to someone's chemicals. Yeah. You, yeah. You're, you have a chemical match with somebody, and you're getting a, a burst of dopamine and oxytocin every time that you interact. Mm-hmm. You've got to cut it off. You've got to go cold turkey to get there faster. And oh. so that was one of the things she told me and I did it and it helped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you ever uh, have that continue? You, have you ever had a continuing relationship, like a friendship with an ex before?
1: Yes. I mean, my, the third of those three people that I was very much in love with, um, mm-hmm. we are still good friends to this day. Mm-hmm but the other two I've never spoken with since. And yeah. so it's really bizarre, isn't it? How you can be so in love with someone and then never speak to them again. <sighs> yeah, yeah, it hurts it's my weird, heart. It's weird, right? It, shouldn't, it <laughs> shouldn't be that way, right? It should, right? Should, what does it mean? You know, who decides what should or shouldn't yeah. be? But this is what happens because we get so invested in someone else having control over our lives and us control, wanting to control their lives. One of the definitions of love that I that uh, uh one of the uh, authors and psychologists told me was love is wanting to monopolize sexually and socially someone else. And that's a very clinical way of looking at it. Right. But we do get into this position of ownership, feeling like we own somebody else mm. and you can't own anybody. Right. You can't, it's not fair. And to bring it toward towards sex, when you try to be, um, controlling of someone else and with them all the time. And, um, uh, it's, it's what happens is this, the, the, the word is habituation. You become, mm-hmm. t- if you're together all the, the more you're together, the more alike you become mm-hmm. and the, the less passion there is because familiarity and passion are opposites. And so you have to not control and grab and and this sense of propriety. You've got to let someone go in order to increase your passion again. Mm, You've got to mm -hmm. allow each other to be individuals who are together. You're both right. There's you, me and the relationship sexually Mm -hmm. and emotionally. you can't meld it all into one and be we're one all the time or you'll diminish passion.
0: Yeah, it's like that. we lose the interest, the challenge of the of the thing, because we already know everything about that. And we already and when there's this sense of security there, which is love, like love is safety, love is security. But then if it's always going to be there, do we desire it?
1: Yeah, well, it's like if you eat the same food every day, you're going to start to take it for granted and you're going to want a different <laughs> meal eventually. And human beings and relationships are not that different really, it's an appetite. It's a need that we have to fulfill. That's, I mean, we're horny, right? Our grandparents, mm-hmm. our great grandparents were I horny. Am. If they weren't, well, if your great grandparents weren't <laughs> horny, you wouldn't be here today. <laughs> <laughs> it's natural. It's, it's, it's a requirement for the species. And so sex is a very powerful urge and, and mm-hmm. it's a need. And you can't, if you try to suppress it, you it'll come out in other other more negative ways
0: yeah yeah and in your own you know going through this process and you were saying how this has changed changed you just through the you know learning all of the um, different perspectives and everything have you seen this impact the way that you relate or the way that you date or the you know how has that changed you
1: personally yeah well I've just started Um, using these new superpowers, right? I'll tell you right now. Here's, if you want to know a secret superpower. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) If you want to seduce somebody, it's so easy if you do one thing, which is actively listen to them. Make eye contact, ask them what they think, and then shut up. And listen and empathize. Like, what do you think about your, how was your day? As simple as that. Mm -hmm. How was your day? And if you were to, tell me your day, how it was. And I just do nothing except say, Oh, that's, I'm so sorry that happened. Or Mm -hmm. that's wonderful. I'm so glad that happened for you. That increases both of our happiness and passion for each other. Mm -hmm. And it lasts for weeks. But if we don't do that, it counts against us. And then we start to separate and the cell phone is A big problem because it works in the opposite direction. It forces us or it makes us, it gives us um, this. We're pulled to check our email, look at it, and interact with this screen instead of interacting with our partner. Mm -hmm. So, one of the probably the most important piece of advice that I learned from all the experts, if I coalesced it all down, is what you should do every night when you come home or when you come, whenever, once a day is engage with your partner, put your phone on airplane mode, turn Mm -hmm. off the computer and the TV, make eye contact, honey, how was your day? Or how are you feeling? And then listen for about 15 to 20 minutes. That's it's like this vitamin that we need. And if we don't get it, we get very frustrated, Mm -hmm. which leads to uh, arguments and, and, and problems. But if we do get it, we feel so much better and we associate that good feeling with our partner. And so you want to keep them around because this goodness that we feel comes from the interaction with this person. And so you want to be together. It's it's so simple. I mean, why not try it? Try it for a week with your partner. Anyone who's listening right now, try this experiment mm-hmm. for one week. How was your day? And then shut up. This is really primarily... <laughs> <laughs> a lesson for the masculine partner, even more so than the feminine, because the masculine has the hardest time with this. Mm. Uh, I'm a much more masculine person than I mean, I have both. Obviously, we all have both within us, but it's really hard for me to listen to someone. It's counterintuitive to who I am without interjecting with suggestions mm-hmm. or comments. Sure, But that's not what the feminine wants. The feminine is processing the emotion of the day, needs to express it and then feel better. And, yeah. and the interjections, the, inter, the interjections just interrupt that process.
0: Sure. And it's, and I can even see that beyond a question of gender, you know, men and women and, and any gen, gender identifying in between. Um, but this idea of like when we interrupt our partner or when we ask them for what, you know, their experience was, and then we finish their sentences or they, we're trying to function for them. Instead of allowing them and accepting them as they are, and trusting that they can function for themselves, so it's essentially <laughs> saying like, "I know it's right. I'm more powerful. You're not as strong, so let me do this for you." But that isn't that isn't attractive. That also doesn't doesn't feel good. That doesn't make us feel powerful. And I think this lends to what you were saying earlier of you know in those past relationships of yours of not feeling you know um, what happens. It's like people end up like everything was so good in the relationship. I don't, I just don't know what happened while well, you were finishing a sentence. You weren't letting him be himself in there. Yeah. And then this, and empathy of, of, empathy, you were saying is, is feeling with somebody.
1: Expressing to them that you understand how they feel. Mm. It's that simple and it's that hard. It's really, it's actually very difficult, but that means you have to stop thinking about what you're going to say next and Mm -hmm. actually absorb what they're saying and go, I wonder how she's feeling. Oh, she's feeling really happy right now because she got a promotion at work or because whatever, or her, her mother finally said something nice or, or she's feeling really upset because Mm -hmm. someone was mean to her or someone cut her off in traffic. And then just say, Oh, I'm so sorry that you, you experienced that you're, Mm -hmm. and then maybe if you want to take it a step further, offer support, you are so good at your job. I'm sure it's all going to work out fine. And then give Mm -hmm. a hug. And everything goes so much better when you, if you can follow that process, I mean, part of this is learning how to do conflict better. And that's what most therapists teach couples is how to do conflict better Mm. because they're doing it wrong or badly or. Ineffectively. uh, Yes. (laughs) Or making things worse. And that's a part of the documentary also I discovered in, in this search for how to do better, have better relationships we need to learn how to, to process um, our feelings and then handle the conflict. There's inevitably gonna be conflict in any relationship, yes. particularly in modern relationships because we're dealing with resources, we're sharing resources, and that brings up opportunities for conflict regularly. Should I spend money on a boat? No, of course not. I mean, what about the kids' braces? Which one's more important? I mean, that's an obvious debate, but which, who's, or here's cleanliness, that's a common one, right? One person is a little bit more tidy than the other. The way, one way to handle, according to the experts, conflict is to make an appointment to argue, Mm. honey, I'd like to talk to you about the garage. When is a good time to do so? And then when he says, not now I'm busy, you say, okay, how about tomorrow? When is a good time tomorrow? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, how about ten a.m.? Okay, ten a.m. tomorrow. Now we have an appointment to discuss the, the cleanliness of the garage at ten a.m. tomorrow. You write it down on a piece of paper. This is according to Dr. Pat Allen. This is her thing because by putting on a piece of paper, now it's real. It's tangible. You put it on uh, the refrigerator. You can't say <laughs> I forgot or I, I didn't. I don't remember. It's there. And also, what's happening psychologically is that this, particularly the masculine brain it doesn't do well with ambush discussion. Yeah. But if you have time to prepare to think this is coming, you do much better, you're much calmer, you're ready for it, and you can have a much more productive discussion. So when yeah. that time finally comes to discuss the, the honey, instead of saying, honey, you are such a slob, I can't take it. Yeah. You change something. <laughs> remove that doesn't the work? Word y- No. <laughs> <laughs> remove the word you from your vocabulary. In a conflict, you're only allowed to say I. Honey, I feel so anxious when the garage is cluttered. Mm -hmm. Can you please help me with that? But wouldn't you be more likely to help out if I put it in those terms instead of putting you on the defensive by calling you a slob?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I can imagine, and I love the way that you framed that ambush conversations <laughs> because it's so true. It's like, it's like, we were like, Hey, can we talk? Or, you know, we go straight into it. We just start talking. And it's like, if we're not focused in that mindset to be able to, to sit and hold space, then we shift into that, um, more of the survival part of our brain. And it becomes more difficult to access some of these higher functioning or thinking or, or, um, you know, rationalizing even, because we're just like, and who threat?
1: (laughs) I know what that means. We need to talk. (laughs) (laughs) I've come home, you know, many times after a hard day, stressful day of work. And in Mm -hmm. my mind all day long, I've been thinking, I can't wait to get home and just chill out and watch an episode of whatever. And then I get home and I'm ready. I'm ready to (laughs) enter that space of chill out time. And then it's suddenly, I wouldn't need to talk to you about something stressful. Oh, I'm not going to be able to chill out. And so I'm on edge and it's a bad time. To get what you want from me because I'm not in a good frame of mood, a frame of mind to to, to be reasonable. So, by making an appointment the next day, you can both discuss it. And the best way to end every discussion, every conflict is to say, if if you're coming to me and saying, let's say you're the one who's got a problem with me leaving my socks on the floor or whatever it is, the best thing for me is to just hear you and accept that you feel bad about it and say, what can I do to help you feel better? Hmm. Now you'll tell me how you can feel better. And partly it's on both of us to understand that neither of us is really going to change very much. We can't become something else. We can change our behavior for a while, but we'll start to feel resentful and it's going to come out in another way. But by understanding how you feel, I'm going to make a much more of an effort because I want you to feel good. Your happiness, if I'm in love with you, your happiness is crucial to me. And Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna begin to prioritize things that I have now learned make you happier because that'll make me happier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a in attachment theory, we talk about co-regulation, you know, this ability to um, help regulate the nervous system of our partners and then us, them, us, as well as, you know, being able to self-regulate, which is taking care of our own. So I'm almost seeing this pattern as you're describing, you know, the, the different experts and then hear what you're sharing here is, is like we go into relationships or um, I don't know, maybe you can even talk about the purpose of marriage or in your own um, research. Of, But two two or more people coming together to really help each other survive.
1: Well, there are definitely benefits to marriage because people are doing it. And what I discovered when I investigated, what is marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Marriage is primarily one thing. It's primarily a legal document that that lays out the way that we share property. That's Mm -hmm. really all it is. And the reason it is that is because... When people inevitably split up, they leave a gigantic financial mess and society was getting tired of cleaning up other people's messes. So we've got to come up with a way that's preset to make it a little bit more orderly when human beings split up, which they naturally will do over time. Mm -hmm. And so the marriage contract lays out this is what happens because you, you're, you're co owners of, of this material during this period of time, this property, propriety, ownership. What's not in the marriage contract is a requirement to be nice, a good listener, <laughs> good in bed. These, these are all add ons or spiritual. Mm-hmm. These are things we add on and are frustrated when they're not met because we never really discussed them going in. We just assumed mm-hmm. these things. And the number one thing that the experts said that if, let's, if you're thinking of getting married today, if, if this is on your mind, if you're considering marrying someone, the best thing you can do to increase the chances for longevity and happiness for your future, for your relationship and for your future, is to do premarital counseling. Mm, well, I was I, going I I to say,
0: we, take resumes. <laughs> well,
1: Who that's wants to doing apply to be my husband? <laughs> you're doing your research, right? It's the same thing. You're absolutely oh. right. <laughs> You've got to do your research. You've got, who am I marrying? Who is this yeah. person? Look at their resume. Look at their history. Who are they? How can you do that? Well, the way to do that is through a personal priorities checklist that I put in the appendix of my book, a sample that people can use where it's like a little questionnaire you can fill out. Each of you can fill out. What do you prefer? Antiques or Ikea? What's, too mo- what's the most amount of money that anyone should spend on a pair of shoes? Mm. How light or dark should the bedroom be? Is it okay mm-hmm. to leave the TV on all night while you're sleeping? What if you find out your partner I can't sleep unless the TV's on all night, and that drives you crazy, right? That's, yeah. my, my grandmother, who I interviewed in the film, said that um, what you could be in love with someone, but what if they refuse to wash their feet? It's not going to work out because you're going to be so disgusted over time. So you've got to get on the same page with what primarily what are core values. If your core mm-hmm. values are not in sync, there's going to be trouble over time, it's, or it's going to be much harder.
0: Yeah. And what they I hear. The,
1: he's... Re, sorry, one last thing. Religious couples, they found do much better than non-religious couples in terms hmm. of longevity and happiness. And it's not because they're religious. It's because they're forced by the religion to do premarital counseling. And to at least so they get an idea of what they're getting into, whether they agree or not on all these things.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important because you're also bringing up not just values, but lifestyle, the way of living, like how much more challenging it is for one person um, who's a morning person, the other person who isn't, who's a (laughs) night owl, you know, these are things that need to be talked about because all of these impact our lifestyle and our life decisions.
1: Exactly. What is it going to do to you to be with someone who is the same or different from you? Mm -hmm. Now, the way Dr. Gottman puts it, We don't look for a clone. It's like filling out a bunch of a questionnaire on eHarmony is not going to get you a life mate. All it's going to do is find you someone who is so equally desperate to be in a relationship. They're willing to submit to hours of torture, filling out questionnaires. (laughs) At least you know that much. You can't know whether you're going to be attracted to someone until you meet them in person, face to face, Mm. and then find out how you feel when you're Mm. near them. Mm. that's the first step. And that's a chemical match, primarily pheromones. And how do they treat you? Mm. Dr. Gottman has this amazing statistic where he said that by watching couples for five to 10 minutes, he can predict with 90% accuracy whether they'll stay together or how happy they will be if they do stay together. Mm. And it was due to one quality that he found, he looked for, he found over and over again, was the presence of contempt expressed by either partner toward the other, which means they're not working as a team. One is being dismissive of the other, eye rolling, sighing, not valuing what your partner has to say, cutting Mm. them off, like finishing their sentences. If that's not present, if they're much more of a team, they've got a much better chance, a better shot. So you're looking for someone who is sort of your opposite, yet very interesting because opposites attract. We're looking for someone to complete us, not to duplicate us. And so that makes things, makes it life a little bit more challenging because you will disagree sometimes and you will have opposite opinions, but that's actually what you need. You need someone to challenge you to be a better person
0: Mm. in order to
1: become a better person.
0: Mm. And challenge in a way that doesn't demasculate or doesn't disempower the other person, but more um, inspires the other person. Exactly.
1: Right. Inspires you to achieve the same level. If you raise yourself up to a higher level, you're gonna inspire your partner to join you on a higher Mm -hmm. level.
0: Yeah, hopefully if they're on, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because I've definitely been in relationships where my intelligence and my, you know, um, alpha, I don't know what it is, but would um, intimidate the guys too. So I think there's a level of, um, you know, how much self-work you've done and how much, you know, uh, yeah, are you willing to lean into that too? Um, I think, yeah, it's just, Relationships Also complex. <laughs> and I think ultimately, like we have to remind ourselves, even if we learn all these things, we still can't control the outcome of a relationship. It's going no. to happen how it happens.
1: You only have the only control you have is over yourself. And that's somewhat limited also. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you do want to have control over as much of yourself as possible. And that's what therapists help us do. You know I mean? You and I like there, here's the, here's, here's the, my amount of choices. It's this little sliver. All the rest of this has kind of been preset since the age of seven as who I am as a person mm-hmm. has been hardened into place. My framework by my genetics and my environment and what I've learned, but a, a therapist or, or someone who's, wiser and maybe more objective can help me widen, broaden my choices by be, mm-hmm. helping me become more aware, self-aware of who I am and what I am. And that's it's it's so hard to look at yourself and take responsibility for your faults and who you are and your and 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 try to improve. It's easier mm-hmm. to blame someone else. We're always looking at well, what's their mm-hmm. fault or it's society's fault or nobody ever gives me a break or the you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about you, right? It, the only common denominator among all your relationships is you. So if they're not working, <laughs> which is what I found for me, it was me, it was my fault. I was the problem. <laughs> and so that's what I wanted to learn. I was so desperate to to learn what was going on with me? And then Mm -hmm. for the documentary, you get to follow along and you learn what I learn as I'm sort of solving my own problems.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would would add to that, I would expand that even more of, um, you know, holding the responsibility of ourselves and acknowledging that there's another person that's interacting with us too. So it's not just us and our problem and what's wrong with us, but also the alchemy between us and this other person, right? And so how much of this can we take as, because of us and then how much can we also allow them to hold the responsibility too?
1: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. Because that alchemy of two people is going to be different depending on who you choose. Sure. And if you choose a good partner, you're going to have a much better outcome than if you keep choosing that person who is the wrong person for you, you, you're, you, whatever it is, you need someone that you need to fix or you're, you you mm. want to nurse people or, Uh, whatever you're trying to change or fix about yourself through your interaction with your partner over and over again, if you can understand better who and what you are, oh, that's why I was doing that. Mm -hmm. You can liberate yourself and increase the number of choices available to you for uh, potential partners. And then like this, the concept of a soulmate is something that the experts have, have all sort of frowned upon. They prefer to say that a soulmate is something that you grow into with someone by choosing someone who can become a good soulmate for you.
0: So in talking about these different styles of relationship for figuring out like what's right for you and what's right for them. And, and, um, this is a question that I often get from people, um, especially now because the conversations of polyamory and non-monogamy and open relationships, those all coming up and being talked even more, especially since the, um, publication of, um, sex at dawn, which is somebody that you interviewed as well. Um, what I'm curious mostly about your own process of what you discovered about yourself in that conversation or in that question? Did you find yourself leaning towards one or the other or what did you discover?
1: Yeah, isn't it fascinating? I mean, the I found myself when I was in a relationship in love with somebody still being attracted to other people mm-hmm. and then feeling really bad about it. And so it's a double negative, right? I'm feeling bad about something that is out of my control. I can't control what I'm attracted to or not attracted to. It is I'm attracted to something and that's who I am. It's like, can you choose to be gay? You are what you are, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody chooses to be gay or to be straight. You are, or somewhere in the middle, bisexual. Mm-hmm. You it's you, all, you. can only choose to understand yourself better. And so, okay, this is who I am and what I am. And what do you do about that, right? Chris Ryan studied this from an anthropological and sociological psychological perspective and looking at our history and where we came from and in a tribal culture Chris's thesis is that humans shared everything food shelter and he argues even probably sex sex was not a proprietary thing to the tribe the tribe owned everything including everyone's sexuality this makes sense from a point from mother nature's point of view because mother nature prefers genetics mixture being of a wide variety, not inbreeding. Inbreeding leads to weaker offspring. That's your evidence for that. And But we're not living in a tribal society now. However, the polyamorous subculture is sort of moving back or trying to move in a direction toward where we came from in to live in more of a tribal way. One of the couples in my documentary who are polyamorous I went to their wedding and before they got married, they agreed that they would continue dating other people after they got married. Mm-hmm. Which is for most people a bizarre thing. And how it's that's so weird. I can't imagine how could that happen, right? Well, they they practice what they call situational polyamory. They are monogamous at all times until they mutually decide we're gonna have a polyamorous weekend mm. because that's what they both choose. Each one has a veto over doing so, or who the other partner has sex with. So they're not doing anything unilaterally. There's, cause there's three things. There's you, there's the other person, and, and there's the relationship and you have, you should, what, should I do something or not do something? Well, you can evaluate it in terms of, is, is it good for me? Is it good for my partner? Mm-hmm. And is it good for the relationship? If it's yes on all three counts, then you should probably do it. Mm-hmm. If there's a no on either one of those three, You probably should not do it, or you should talk about it. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this couple, I found them, this polyamorous couple, I found them to be really high functioning as a couple.
0: I loved them. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to
1: them. Intuitive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because in order to be polyamorous, they have to be very open about who they are.
0: Mm -hmm. And They talk
1: about this before they got married. There was no surprise. I wasn't, he says, I I didn't get a surprise person. I knew everything about her, who she was and what she wanted. And that means they reduced the amount of unexpected frustrations that came later, because they they knew each other so well. So polyamorous, I think, who do well, don't do well necessarily because they're having sex with multiple partners. It's not about the Mm -hmm. sex. It's about the communication with each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um I have been in polyamorous and open and non-monogamous relationships for a long time and um it's something that in the end or in the present day I should say now I have realized that my the way that I relate changes with every person only because the alchemy with me and that other person and the agreements that we have between each other is, is different, is unique to whatever that unit is. And so I've decided to not label myself anymore, realizing (laughs) that even the label was creating a schema for other people to, to project their own understandings onto um, me or, or, you know, yeah, what, what it is that we were creating here. And one thing that I loved about this, this couple that were, I was also really inspired by this couple in the documentary of um, how it just seemed like they were so in tuned with each other, you know, as they were making whatever it was that they were making, that they were, that they were in contact and checking in with each other as it was, as it was um, evolving, which I think is key.
1: They started out as very good friends, not romantic they worked together, they knew each other for, I think, four or five years, mm-hmm. and they de- saw each other, watched each other as they dated other people, and became advice and sounding boards for each other, and grew very close, they grew a very strong bond, and then realized that they had an attraction for each other as well, mm-hmm. and discussed it, and, and, and landed at I, this is, you know, their, their thinking was, you know what, I love this person more than anyone else because I trust this person. I'm sexually attracted to this person. And so even though I still have, uh, sexual feelings for other people, I can't imagine not spending my life with this one person primarily. Mm -hmm. And so they got married, but Mm -hmm. they still do what they call Daily, a renegotiation of contract, Oof. and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they, there's in a paper or they they haven't. There's nothing formal. It's just a constant checking in with your partner, because like you said, you change, they change, and so you have to constantly reassess the structure of the relationship and where you are and be okay with it and be at be at peace with where things have evolved to, and and maybe we'll end up going
0: yeah or change it and have that negotiation that renegotiation yeah how do sure. it...
1: the best way to change it is to just express what you're feeling so that your partner who cares what happens to you and wants you to feel better will be motivated to move mm. in a direction that makes you feel happier
0: yes yes snap snap to that i love that and one <laughs> thing that that w- really inspired me they were talking about he said what made him the what made up his mind to marry her and it was that she said that he could have sex with whomever he wanted.
1: Right. <laughs> and every everyone it... with anybody. And he said, that broke me.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I loved that. And then it brought, it inspired these conversations I've had with other people who tried that as well. And it didn't go so well. And it, in, in those regards, it was more of like they gave the freedom to their partner and then the partner didn't want them anymore because there was so much freedom that they ended up going back with somebody who created a lot of boundaries for them.
1: Yeah, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe they found out sooner rather than later that they weren't the right partners.
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> you were just saved, you. Were, yeah. yeah, yeah. So ultimately, it's it's um, figuring out what's the truth for you.
1: Yeah. You know, what's, you know, that old saying, you know, if, uh, if you set a bird free and if it come, flies back, then it's yours. And I mean, you keep, if you can't keep someone in a cage, yeah. you got to set them free. And if they return, then they do belong to you.
0: Mm, I love that. Instead of trying to manipulate somebody to to show up for you, let it be intrinsic for them. Yeah. And what did you discover? One of the,
1: the most sorry, one of the most mind blowing things that I learned in studying the history of marriage is that marriage was created as a cage to put around the sexuality of women Mm-hmm. Because as human beings were coming out of the tribal culture and moved into an agricultural society, suddenly men understood this idea or began to realize, I own all this property. This belongs to me. Now that I'm a farmer, I stay in one place and I want to make sure that I leave all my property to my genetic offspring. How mm-hmm. can I do that? If I'm out working in the fields or hunting, I'm not watching my wife all the time. How can I be sure it's my children? You know, mommy's mm-hmm. baby is daddy's maybe, unless you're there 100% of the time. And so, this idea of marriage occurred, was evolved, in order to put a, this fence around women's sexuality to prevent them from having sex outside of marriage. Mm. If you look at the, you know, the Old Testament, adultery is a sin that women are punished for, not men.
0: Mm. Interesting. In
1: most religions, this is the case.
0: Yeah. Hmm. And uh, okay, yeah, and that we have just like a few minutes left, and I want to segue from that into some of these listener questions that people have. Um, this is all incredibly thought provoking, and I hope this inspires everybody to self inquire. You know, really challenge what they see of relationships and their own expectations of what they're bringing in, um, so they can have that dialogue with their partner. Um, so, if any of you follow me on Instagram at Sex Love Yoga, I take followers' questions and them to my guest experts. So I have a couple here. Uh, the first question is, my boyfriend wants to open the relationship. And I don't know if I want that or if it's just insecurity coming up. How can I tell the difference?
1: Ooh. Yeah, that's a great question, right? It's <laughs> me, my partner and the relationship is, it, is opening up the relationship a good thing for me? Is it a good thing for him? Is it a good thing for the relationship? How do you know? And by opening it up, you are experimenting. And the experiment could go away, you don't want it to go, right? I would ask this person, I asked her, the woman who's asking this question, what do you want to achieve by doing this? Mm. And what will happen if you don't achieve, or if if you achieve the opposite, how will you deal with it? Just be prepared because it, you know, there's the old joke, I think it's a Woody Allen joke. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Nothing's going to go the way you're expecting it to for mm-hmm. the most part in life. And you that's the hard thing to get used to. But mm. the good news is you'll find out, like you'll be setting this birdie free if this bird belongs to you or not.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. I would also tag in there, uh, maybe see a therapist <laughs> 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 or one of my favorite books, uh, More Than Two. It helps to navigate the complexity of, of those when you do open them up.
1: Yeah, but yeah. both people have to want to do it, right? You yeah. can't open up a relationship if only one person wants it open. No, definitely.
0: That that doesn't work. I think they call that something else.
1: <laughs> if you yeah. don't want that, then it's not something that will, unless you're really deluding yourself, it's not something that is going to help you, uh, but it will help you to learn about yourself, even though it might be a very painful process.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's true. (laughs) It'll be a hard, a hard container for evolution. (laughs) Okay. Second question. How do I get the passion back in my marriage after we've been together for five years?
1: Oh, I wrote a whole chapter on that in the book. It didn't fit (laughs) in the documentary. And so I devoted an entire chapter because there are ways and there are passion experts that hold classes for couples and I went and observed one of these classes, mm. and I was really curious what went on there. And I detail it in the book. I, you know, I was wondering is it going to be an orgy? Is it going to be a weird spiritual <laughs> chant? You know, around a bonfire. And there's a couple of things that went on, but primarily what they do at the at the passion seminars is help couples recalibrate their masculine and feminine polarity. Mm. What happens over time is habituation sets in, you become very much alike and the more alike you become, the less passion there is because we're attracted to that opposite, that opposite pole. And if you have lost or s- subverted your ability to be feminine or masculine and you become more and more like your partner, you've got to re go back to be able to go back to your corners. At least when mm, you want to yeah. be passionate. Yeah. Here's an example. The work environment is a masculine environment. So everyone is masculine. And so the person who's the more feminine one in the relationship comes home and is still masculine. Well, two masculines don't really get excited Mm -hmm. the way that a masculine and a feminine do. So you have to learn how to shift back into your feminine when you are back home and want to become intimate again. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one way. Another way, another thing that is going on um, there's a, a psychologist named Arthur Aaron who did a lot of research on passion. And he found that one of the best ways to increase passion is to introduce a new, a novel physical activity for, to the partners. In other words, find a new hobby that both people want to do that you haven't done before and go do it. You know, Take up ballroom dancing or golf or skiing or swimming or surfing or hiking Something it has to be physical and new and both people have to want to do it. And what happens is it what Art Aaron did is he had couples bounce around on these little kitty bouncy balls and then would test them before and after about where their passion level was. And it went up just by bouncing around on these bouncy balls mm-hmm. because they're laughing and having fun. And if you go, let's say you go to an amusement park and go on a roller coaster and you're having fun and screaming and or go to a comedy club and you're laughing. <laughs> You transfer these good feelings to your partner, mm. you associate them with your partner, and it increases your energy and your, your enjoyment of each other and your passion. And so that was a very specific mm. thing that, that Art Aaron suggested people do. And it's essentially just doing what you used to do when you dated someone. Yeah. Because dating is going and doing fun things together. And then once you connect, you stop doing those fun things that you used to do that used to increase your passion. And you wonder where the passion went.
0: Yeah. oof, I love that. I think that actually answered more of the the third question, too. <laughs> um, last question is, is there a way I can make myself more sexually attractive to my wife? She just doesn't want to have sex anymore.
1: Yeah. I'll go back to the beginning of the conversation. was try listening to her for a week. Yeah for one week it's like a vitamin that she needs to be passionate she needs to connect with you on an emotional level by you actively seeing her Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that you see her and feel what she's feeling that does more than anything to rekindle a connection between two people and it's hard it's really counterintuitive it's really difficult for the masculine brain to just shut up and listen, but do it, shut up. Just, honey, how was your day? Tell Mm -hmm. me how you're feeling. That will do more than anything. I mean, it costs you nothing to try it. You don't have to try any of these things I've suggested today, unless you wanna be a little happier.
0: (laughs) And we all wanna be a little happier.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Yeah,
0: so how can people find your documentary or your book? Where can they go? The
1: the truthaboutmarriage.com has links And it's on Amazon, both are on Amazon or uh, I've got a Vimeo page and uh, all your usual, it's at Barnes and Noble, all your usual locations. And Mm -hmm. my name is Roger Nygaard and you can find me at rogernygaard.com, N-Y-G-A-R-D. I have the links there and I love hearing from people. So please feel free to check in.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Roger. This was a pleasure and so insightful.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. You're a great host and I had a great time.
0: Here on Eat, Play, Sex, we dive into everything related to sex, love, and nutrition. And if you're wanting to dive in deeper with your wellness routine, then I highly recommend checking out the podcast, Wellness Realist Podcast with Christina Rice. She talks everything about nutrition, fitness, relationships, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and everything in between. So check it out. New episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eatplaysex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time keep it sexy.